Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to episode one of From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. So glad that you could be here. This is part of the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge, which means that you're going to be hearing an episode of From Duck Till Dark every day throughout the month of November and a little bit into December because this particular series goes for more than 30 days. So this is going to be a lot of fun, and we are starting off on a very interesting foot because the first Marvel, Marvel Comics film, the first Marvel Comics character, to make it to the big screen. Now, keep in mind that DC, by this point, in 1986, had already done three Superman films. So, And it can thrive on the big screen, especially that first Superman film, the first two. They were both fantastic. So what does Marvel Comics do to get in the ring for the very first time in 1986? They give us Howard the Duck. Now, just a quick little insight about the character himself. Howard was created in 1973 by a writer named Steve Gerber. And when you get to know more of Steve Gerber's later works, when he got into working with animation and was a big writer on G.I. Joe and uh, and also had done some work on Transformers, you can really see that, uh, that the man really had some really out there ideas, especially a two-parter of G.I. Joe. There's no place like Springfield. I would put that in any sort of top 10 of animation episodes that I've ever seen. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's so above what you would see as typical kitty fare. It's got a very mature storyline. And so to give us a character like Howard the Duck, it's really interesting the sort of ideas that he had for that character. And in fact, one of the things that he mentioned when he first created the character, he basically said that the main joke for Howard the Duck is that there is no joke that life's most serious moments and most incredibly dumb moments are often distinguishable only by a momentary point of view. He had a very existentialist view for this character, for this whole world that he was creating. And so he caught the attention of none other than George Lucas. In the 1970s, George had already done THX 1138, the ill-fated flagship movie for American Zoetrope. He wound up doing... American Graffiti on a dare by Francis Ford Coppola to basically write something sweet, something that was a complete opposite of what THX wound up being. And that wound up being a real blessing for him because he was working with two writers, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, a husband and wife team. And Willard got into, also got into directing and Gloria got into producing. And they wound up partnering up with Lucas for quite a while. They actually did a lot of uncredited work on Star Wars. They had worked with him on American Graffiti, shaping that script the way that it, into the what it needed to be. And they also worked uh, together on more American Graffiti. And they also worked on the screenplay for later on for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So they hung around Lucas for quite a while and rightfully so. And so in the 1970s, when George brought 
Howard the Duck to Willard and Gloria's attention, saying that it's something that he wanted to do. He really liked the character. He liked the the satire of it. He liked the just the craziness of, of the whole of the whole thing, of this duck that all of a sudden just got shot through unknown circumstances to Earth, and became as the as the tagline always said, trapped in a world he never made, and trying to basically just find a place for himself in this whole new world. And Howard himself is is not a very kidified kind of character. He's very, very gruff. He's very sarcastic. He's he's got he's got a lot of issues. Now, I did not know this. I did not know any of this in uh, in 1986 when I saw this in the theater. I just it just seemed like it was going to be something something fun. That's the way it, it looked at. It looked like it was going to have like a little bit of an edge, definitely not something Disney-like. But at the same time, there was I didn't really know what to make of it, but I was interested in what it was going to wind up being. Um, now, back in, uh, just to kind of rewind a little bit, like it was around the 80s. That's when interest really kind of perked up again to do Howard the Duck. And at this point, Lucas had decided he wasn't going to... He was going to be an executive producer on this. He was going to present it, and he was able to get Willard and Gloria involved in it. They were considering animation for a while, and considering the the state of animation at that point, doing an animated version of that character to keep the sort of sensibilities that it had, it definitely would have been the kiss of death because they animation was kind of in this weird place right at that point. The only place it was really getting anywhere in terms of animation was Disney. And even that was very, very iffy at that time, because that was around the time when there was the Black Cauldron, which did not do very well in the box office. And it was looked at in very poorly. The Great Mouse Detective had not yet happened yet. So which was like the first real spark that really got Disney going again. There really wasn't all that much there in terms of animation. So, And especially considering that it was going to be more catered to adults than kids, that really wasn't going to fly very well. So it had to be animation. They were contractually obligated to do it. And the main thing that I found really interesting was that Universal Pictures really wanted to get involved in the George Lucas business, which is funny enough because they already were, because it was Universal that took on American Graffiti and really put him on the map and got him in the position where they could where he could basically do do whatever he wanted and of course what he wanted to do more than anything was star wars so he got to basically risk himself and his and his uh, career all over again with that and universal had a chance to get into to stay in the george lucas business by taking on star wars but they declined. Now, they did work with more, more American Graffiti, but at the same time, he wasn't the director for that. So when that came and went, they didn't really they didn't really hold that too much against him. And at that point, there was no reason to do that because to, to hold it against him, because at that point, he was already breaking box office records with Star Wars. And then he was getting close to doing it again with The Empire Strikes Back, again with 20th Century Fox. He had already locked in. He was. He already knew he was going to be doing working with 20th Century Fox again for Return of the Jedi. And in 1981, that's when he and Steven Spielberg brought Raiders of the Lost Ark to Paramount. So at that point, 
Universal was really, really anxious to get back into the George Lucas business because he had just been going, coming up with hit after hit after hit with both Star Wars and Indiana Jones really kind of really knocking everything out of the box office. So they really wanted to get involved in this. So they really kind of threw themselves at George Lucas. And this was what he wound up giving them. So it's really interesting, like the way that everything kind of came together, because especially when you take a, when you notice there's a, on the behind the scenes retrospective documentary that's on the DVD, Gloria Katz said this regarding what Steve Gerber was saying about the book being so existentialist. She said, it's a film about a duck from outer space. It's not supposed to be an existential experience. And which basically means like, okay, he's going to be, he's going to be coming in and let's just have some fun with this. And it wound up being a very interesting experience, especially like for me, like recently watching it again for the first time in a while, its tone is going all over the place. It really is. Make It comes off as like almost being cute and something that kids would really get into. But then there's, there, there's a, duck titty shot as Howard is being blasted through duck world. I don't think um, Universal really knew what to do with this because I think they had, they had it in mind that this was going to be something that, that families can all get into. But then you see Howard landing in Cleveland and getting tied up with a biker group called Satan sluts. And so it's, really just kind of really kind of out there. It's definitely something that fits the same sort of tone as say the Monster Squad, which has a lot of very edgy dialogue in it. It's perfect for the 80s, but it would not have been made like this this sort of way. Um it's an interesting experience, I can say. And I just remember when I was when I was t- coming up on 10 years old and my friend my friend and I wound up seeing it and he and I sat in the front row of the movie theater. And his mother sat several rows away. And later on in the movie, when when we deal with the arrival of the Dark Overlord of the Universe and possessing Jeffrey Jones's character, Dr. Jenning, there's that infamous moment where he needs energy and his tongue stretches out and sticks itself into a cigarette lighter. And it was at that moment, that was when my friend's mother comes down and just goes, we're leaving. And all of a sudden we left and I never saw the ending until like a couple of years later. And so it was a very, like I said, it was a very interesting experience. It was something that I feel like if it's, if you, it's just, it's with a lot of like nostalgic movies that, that are out there. If you saw it as a kid and you really remember it and you latch onto it, then you definitely feel much more for it than people that are just experiencing it for the first time. I can't in good conscience, recommend this movie to those who had not seen it. But at the same time, you know, it's got this weird kind of charm to it that that I that I know I didn't expect later on. And I'm sure that there are a lot of other people that didn't expect it later on. Um, now, to I reached out to to my friends on both Instagram and Facebook. And by the way, if you want to get involved in the discussions on Facebook, please do. Just go to facebook.com slash from duck till dark. And um, 
A couple of opinions that I got that I heard about this. One was from Dara Kalima, who is a who is also part of who's also one of the guests on uh, the Excelsior Journeys podcast, who said, I love this movie and it makes me happy to see Howard pop up in current productions. And yeah, I, lo- I love the fact that he's become like this little Easter egg in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Seth Green is is the voice of him. Now, like the look of him and everything like that's that's pretty damn close to to what he looked like on the, you know, in the cartoon. I think that's, uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's got a weird kind of charm to it. And um, also another another previous guest from the show, Trisha Daniel, uh, wrote, oh, I loved Howard the Duck. Cannot wait to listen in on this conversation. So I hope, uh, Trisha, I hope you've been enjoying this. I hope that uh, that this has been hopefully living up to your expectations. And Scott Rutherford, a dear friend from the, my 411 Mania days, wrote, I love this movie as a kid, but it's extremely problematic with the insinuations of human-duck intimate relations. And boy, do they really go there when it comes to that with, uh, with Leah Thompson and... Yeah, and Howard in in the movie, Leah Thompson's character Beverly uh, Switzler, and the thing about it, the thing about this movie is like the thing that I will absolutely give a credit for is that no one really holds back with this movie. They're they're just in they're just like let's see where this goes, and you have Tim Robbins basically just going like way out there with his performance. And you have Leah Thompson giving a very sweet performance, a very grounded performance, and it's and and kudos to her for doing all of of her own singing in the movie as well, because she does a kick-ass job as the head of as the lead singer of of her band Cherry Bomb, and and one of the uh, the, the song that that starts up the movie Hunger City is one of my favorites in all of the uh, in all all of the eighty soundtracks that I've listened to. Obviously, the title song is is fun, but the um, but Hunger City, I, I really love. I think that's that's my favorite song on the whole soundtrack. There's there's a lot there's a lot for this. There's a lot go, going for this movie. At the same time, like you definitely have to strap yourself in for all the different directions that it goes into. So I will give it a decent recommendation. But like I said, mainly for those who have seen it before. If you've seen it before, go ahead and give it another look. If you have never seen it before and you've just like heard about like how bad it is and everything, you may want to stay away. Because I don't think there's much of anything here that will really win you over when it comes to that. So that's those are my thoughts for Howard the Duck. And I hope that uh, you've been enjoying this. And I really look forward to all your feedback on this show, on this particular episode, and also on the next episode. Tomorrow, we're going to be discussing the first crack at The Punisher. This was the 1989 film, very low budget starring and Louis Gossett Jr. And I'm looking forward to to getting your thoughts on that as well. So head over to facebook.com slash from duck till dark and put in your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. You can also find me on Instagram um, at George Soroy, S-I-R-O-I-S. You can also find sign find me there for the for the main show that I do, Excelsior Journeys. And I am just looking forward to to hearing from all you guys, all you Marvel lovers. And so until tomorrow, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. See you tomorrow.